Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Good morning, everyone. Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast coming your way. This is number 113. Steve Smee here in the Mwapsa joining me from across the pond. What's up, man? Oi, oi. We're ready to rock and roll. We're going to smash this one right out of the park, people. Pay close attention. This is going to be a fun one, guys. So we've been talking about um, a lot of different people, and we kind of got into the martial arts thing. And if we're going to talk about a, we're going to do a couple martial arts uh, videos where we talk about guys. How can we not talk about John Jones? Perhaps the best fighter ever. Um, he is very, very dangerous. He's never lost, except for what, if you count a disqualification. But he's otherwise than that, he's undefeated. He's got one no contest. One of the best UFC fighters, but he's had a lot of trouble. We're going to get into this podcast. We're going to talk about all the trouble he's been in. We're going to talk about his steroid use. So let's get into it, guys. So who is John Jones? Even if you don't follow UFC, You've probably heard the name if you follow sports. Um, if you follow, you know, if you're watching ESPN or you're on, you know, you go to CBS Sportsline or ESPN.com, any of these uh, sports websites, you probably saw over the past few years articles about John Jones getting busted for this, getting into trouble, all this stuff. So, guys, he's six foot four, 205 pounds. He's a light heavyweight MMA fighter, considered one of the best. Um, and he's been in the news several times for all kinds of stuff, both recreational use and steroid use. So back in um, uh, the UFC 200 got canceled because of his bus and that made big, big news. And since then he's had comeback attempts and, you know, he's still considered one of the best of all time. So, we can go back to his early life mobster. Um, he was born Jonathan Dwight John Jones was his nickname. He was born in July 1987. Young age, you could tell he was going to be a talented young man. Um, he was a wrestling state champion. A lot of MMA guys have backgrounds in wrestling mobster. Um, and that's where they kind of get the, they build that foundation from, from wrestling at a young age. He also played football. He was a uh, defensive end. Uh, a tweener, as as we call them, um, and that basically means he's too small to play defensive and at a pro level. But he's also, um, he, yeah, well, he's yeah. too big to to play. Maybe you know some of the back end, like a safety or corner. So maybe you know he couldn't really find his niche when it comes to football. So he did go to Iowa Central Community College, uh, Morrisville State College. Studied criminal justice, um, and then he dropped out of college when he realized, hey, I can actually make a living monetizing mixed martial arts. So, Mobster, um, tell us a little bit more about his history and how he got into UFC. You, you know more about these things than I do. I, I, I think the thing, and you've kind of touched on it already, is that athletically, 
and again, I've, I've used myself as an example in previous podcasts. You kind of find your niche, as you said just now. I, I, I was a really, really bad athlete at school, terrible. And it's literally in the last year, uh, to, 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 to use a, a slightly crude phrase, when my bollocks dropped, in other words, my testosterone level started going up, guys, that I find that I was even vaguely athletic and I was able to start doing middle distance running. So this is what happens. And, and Steve's touched on this stuff before, where, you know, you, you it's up with jocks, but you're a natural athlete. And John Jones is a natural athlete. And we'll get into the unnatural aspects of his athleticism uh, as he's become a professional. But at school, at high school, and, uh, and later on, he was a natural athlete. He's a big, rangy, athletic guy. He's going to be the guy with a great high and high uh, uh, coordination. He's going to be athletic. He's going to be muscular. He's just not quite heavy enough some of the positions, as, as Steve Smith said already, uh, on, on the field. But wrestling, here's his niche. Here's where he finds out he's, he's going to be a fucking great athlete. Um, I, I've been looking more, to be honest with you, Steve, at, the, at his, <laughs> all the, all, as they say, the man's troubles, the things that he's been doing the last five or six years. We've we done, we done this in the pre-show I, I'm getting this you need to be a kind of troubled, driven individual. You need to have something that's slightly the matter with you to be okay with pain and to fight, even on, even on, on the soccer field, to, to the rough and tumble, even on uh, on American football, you're going to be taking blows. You need to, and, and even for me as an athlete, even for Steve as an athlete, we need to have something slightly the matter with us when it turns to be obsessive or driven or angry or something. You can be incredibly rich, but if you're a driven individual, you'll fight. And, and, and what we're seeing, and John Jones is a very good example of this, an amazing fighter, incredibly technical, studies his opposition. He talks in, in, in with Joe Rogan about how he knows what you're going to do. He knows which way you're going to fight. You know, he knows whether you're going to go down, whether you're going to kick, whether you're going to throw. He knows all of those things and then fucks up with every other aspect, which is where we're really going to get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Because it, it, it feels to me, as a bit of a fan, like a wasted talent. But you kind of need to be slightly messed up. You need to be kind of... So, I, I, I've just said as a, as a fan of boxing, essentially someone's punching me in the face. Now, I know I'm going to get paid for it from a professional fight. It's even worse if you're an amateur, you're doing it for free. But you kind of got to be okay with someone punching you in the face. These guys, you, we've seen, I think Steve would agree, in the last two or three years, and absolutely with the men and the women, epic fights. Where the, 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 the fight with the two female athletes with the swollen heads recently was probably one of the greatest fights ever. And it went on for several rounds. Some of O'Connor's fights and, and, and Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is bleeding, wins. Nate Diaz is still bleeding, wins. Some uh, this, this, and MMA, UFC, and any of the other federations that were around before, it's tough. Really, 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 really tough stuff. Proper, it's very macho, but it's, it's brutal. It, it, I, Quick, quick one for you, Steve. As a friend of mine uh, that used to come and train with us in Gloucester, Sean Kenny, and Sean Kenny, um, I think his nickname's the Caveman, has one of the, the fastest 
fights, uh, punch, sorry, knockouts in MMA. There was, I think, one of those short videos which goes on for about a minute and a half, and Sean was up there, I think it was 11-second knockout in the cage. And Sean is a really tough athlete, very, very good all round. and John Jones will be in that mould. But I, w- I really want to get into this crazy, crazy lifestyle stuff that he's done because he trains. He's been very strong in the gym, 500-pound squatter. Again, this is quote from, from an interview that he did with Joe Rogan, 600-pound deadlifter, which, of course, makes us uh, more suspicious of the drug use because he's not a really, really big guy. He's a big athletic guy, but he's not a very big guy for the 6'4", 6'3", 6'4". He's taller than me, just about. And... Uh, um, I've, I've, there's like 600, I've never lived to 600 pounds. So just to give you an example, and you wouldn't, to look at him, you wouldn't know that he had 600 pounds. Yeah, back to you, Steve. Yeah, so let's get into that in a little bit. But first, for those of you who follow American football, very interesting tidbit. Um, you guys will love this. His older brother was Arthur Jones. Arthur Jones was a fifth-round draft pick in the NFL. To get even drafted into the NFL, you've got to be amazing. And he had a, he had a pretty good career. His younger brother is Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones was a first-round draft pick, and he's had almost 100 sacks in the NFL. He's considered one of the most feared pass rushers in the NFL. So, mobster genetics. This guy has some incredible genetics, and I guarantee you his – you know, that he could get into bodybuilding and be successful. He could have pursued any sport and been successful but he just fell in love i think the wrestling background when he was younger kind of pushed him to get into mma so yeah let's let's talk about um you know his early ufc career so right off the bat he was destroying people he won all six of his matches early on uh the ufc was like man we gotta we gotta get this guy july 2008 he got his opportunity. A uh, fighter pulled out. He just had a two-week notice. He accepted the challenge. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. He went up against Andrew Gu- Guzmao, um, and uh, that was at UFC 87. He won the fight. Um, he used takedowns, unorthodox striking, and he got a unanimous decision. Next January, this, this is when he started to get noticed as a professional MMA fighter. This was at UFC 94 against the veteran Stephen Bonner. Um, he held his own. He showed his flashes, wrestling background. He won unanimously again. So, and then from there, he was cemented one of the most feared fighters. Um, Jake O'Brien, he got a choke on him at UFC 100, destroyed him. Um, and the guy was unconscious after he tapped out. So, I mean, he just w- would get into the ring. Like, fighters would be- fear this guy. Because, I mean, that's one of the most scary things, to be unconscious um, after a fight. So, there's, I mean, you've got to be crazy. You've got to be crazy at this level to get in with a guy like John Jones. Because you may not make it out of there. He is that, that much. You better hope the ref, you know, knows how to tap you out quick. One of the things I was going to say, in fact, you mentioned one of his early fights. He did that with two weeks' notice, which is incredibly unusual. I think I've only ever seen in MMA uh, one example where someone has accepted a fight uh, that late in the, in, in the day and uh, managed to do well out of it. So being ready and performing and winning that fight with only two weeks' notice, no, no great run-up to the training, showed you that he was ready to do what he needed to do. He was ready to be in there 
and, and absolutely, I said as an athlete, you cannot question him whatsoever. It's everything else that's kind of crazy and fucks up about him. He, he, it's, 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 a, it's a very technical fighter. As I said earlier on, he's, he's like, we talked about it in the Tyson podcast, where you don't know that Tyson's in this story, and you don't know that Tyson studies the other athletes. And then he says, no, no, I sit down, I watch the movies, I, I watch these guys fight. This is exactly what John Jones does. He, he knows these guys. So it's, it's just that it's, it's, when he's focused for a fight, and again, that's why the example of the two weeks notice earlier on is, is, is unusual to have that sort of a notice, step in and do the business, as we would say, and, and, and win, and then go on a roll. It's one of the things you notice when you see him fighting, he, he uses he's, get his feet up and kick you in the chest, kick you in the face, kick you in the head. Uh, all MMA fighters... Cage fighters seem to have their own thing, whether it, whether it's you know ground and pound, whether it is 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 fighting with the fist. John Jones has got that thing with the long, long arms and a great range, being able to you know push you away with the fingertips, etc. And sometimes the guys that do this to get told off for it, but it's perfectly normal with the open hand. But he's the one he he'll, he'll pick this spot, sweet spot, and he'll swing that. I don't know how long his legs are. They look like they're about 40 inches coming up towards you. It's a light heavy. That's a lot of meat coming up towards you. And if that bone hits you on the side of the face, you're going down. So, yeah, it, it, it does make no mistake whatsoever about how good of a fighter, when he's prepared, when he's not making any mistakes, he is 100%. I, I would not, you know, you, 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 I don't care how drunk or fucked up or stupid I'm getting. This is one of those guys, you've got to treat him with a huge amount of respect in the cage. And if you don't, then, then you're making a big mistake. I do know, and of course, his great rival for, for competition is obviously, if you're in the cage, no matter how much respect, you've got to know that you're going to beat him. But with John Jones, it's a 50-50. Even his great rival, uh, Cormier, would, would be the first to admit that. And in fact, what was nice with the huge amount of back and forth that these two fighters had, Finally, he I think he was able to apologise to Cormier for letting him down. When again, uh, as we'll get to in a minute, he failed one of his tests. In fact, they were uh, uh, there's clips of uh, you can find this stuff online, guys. That they were both in tears, uh, being upset because of the preparation, because of the build-up, because of the back and forth, because of everything that had gone on. Uh, literally wiping tears away from their eyes because they got the, so much emotion into this fight. And then when it was cancelled because he failed one of his tests, uh, yeah, they were both quite upset. So that, that's the kind of stuff that fighters do. And I think, you know, if sometimes as fans, we don't always appreciate this kind of stuff. So I mean, it's the thing. Uh, uh, the, he had that opportunity, two weeks notice, he steps in, and he's not fucked that career up since, apart from these failures. So, yeah, that's... that's we, we, you could you could go through lots of bits and pieces of his fights. Um, I'm just reading stuff here. Uh, if you if you listen to him talking in podcast in, in videos and whatever else, um, when he's not doing a press conference stuff, when they're not doing that crazy stupid things that they seem to do these days with the back and forth, the guys seem to need to build a big fight up. Uh, is definitely a guy that, that the others. There are, uh, I think there's a YouTube video there, there where uh, eight online fighters from different divisions talk about how good of a fighter John Jones is. It's definitely one of those guys that gets that level of respect the right way through the organisation. Obviously, if you're going to fight against him, that respect needs to go out the window and you need to want to kick his ass. But he does have it. And this is from all the different weight divisions and from some from real legends of the game. 
sitting down and talking about him. He's up there with Nate Diaz, he's up there with, with uh, Cameron in terms of the respect that he gets from the other fighters and how he's perceived by them. Back to you, Steve. So the one thing I mentioned earlier, the one disqualification that he had, that happened because of a downward elbow strike. So he got disqualified for that one, as, as we talked about. That was his only loss, quote-unquote loss. And then from there, he went on, he'd go on and win 12 straight fights. He won the UFC light heavyweight championship knockout. And he defended it multiple times. So um, he did he did very well. Now, the first major controversy that he got into was April of 2015. And Joe's was involved in a hit and run accident. He ran a red light. It was also a pipe with marijuana left in his car. The problem with that in the United States, um, not only does that count as DWI, driving while on, you know, impaired driving while impaired is what they call it when you're uh, smoking with marijuana but the problem is he got into big trouble because he fled the scene so if you get in a car accident in the united states and you flee the scene that they'll come down hard on you he came back to retrieve cash for some reason and then he fled again so um an off-duty police officer witnessed everything and the other problem was it was a pregnant woman in the car that he hit. So he was charged with a felony. He turned himself in to the police over there in, in New Mexico. The yeah, judge gave him a break. When you got money, a lot of a lot what happens in the courts in the United States is you can pay the victim. The victim, as long as the prosecutor sees, hey, you're paying the victim a lot of money, the victim is happy with it, they won't slam the book on you. But if you go, if you get something like this happen to you and you don't got money and you have to hire like a public defender, <laughs> you're done, you know, you're going to jail. So he, even though he was charged with a felony, um, he was able to get that knocked down. Um, he apologized, he said, sorry to everyone I let down. UFC wasn't happy with it. Um, you know, these, these leagues don't like this type of activity because it makes everybody look bad. So when, when you see this in, in, in NFL, NBA, NHL, whatever, they don't like this monster. And I'm sure it's the same way in Britain when you, you yeah. have the high level soccer, when someone does something really stupid like that, especially when it involves a pregnant woman, it makes the whole league look stupid. So they hate when people do that. So he got on their their bad side right off the bat. Can I just please, there's two things I want to point out. One was he actually got the, uh, uh, did a previous driving offence. Was crashing into a pole in his Bentley while drunk in 2012. The 2015 one, of course, ended up being a really good year because he had other stuff going on at the same time. And of course, it was a pregnant woman in a car. Something very very quickly was addressed on the forum just this week. It was to do with the whole, you know, professional athletes using steroids. And of course, this is exactly what we're talking about here in our high level MMA fighter using steroids and other drugs. Here's the thing, guys. It doesn't matter what organization you're in. And, and, and this John Jones was being sponsored, or I think it was around this time or just after, by Nike. A mainstream sports company sponsors you in your early parts of your career because just starting to make a name for himself here. Fantastic amounts of money, 
they don't want you doing stupid shit. They do not want you bringing bad publicity to the to the name, to, to what the company represents, to the logo, whatever you want to call it, whether it's Nike, whether it's Coca-Cola, Walt Disney. You can't do stupid stuff and expect your contract to be renewed. Certain famous golfers know, know, know what this is about. I'm going to give you $40 million. I'm going to give you $100 million. You need to be a good boy. You need to say nice things. You do not need to fail drug tests. You certainly don't want to crash into someone's car, have your pipe full of drugs, come back to the car, he says, to try and get the the the, the uh, cannabis pipe out of the car. The, the witnesses say the cash thing, whatever, he must have picked the cash up. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of stupid. But when you're being sponsored by a major, major company, Walmart, whoever, you cannot do this kind of stuff. I don't care how bad boy you are. Bad, be a bad boy in a microphone. Be a bad boy when you're, you're at these press conferences. Do not get caught. Don't do stupid stuff because they will take that money away from you. If you say stupid things when you're drunk, if you do a stupid tweet, they will take their money away from you. Footballers in this country, George Best is a classic. Drunk half the time that he played. Lots of other, lots of other ones doing stupid fights in nightclubs. You can't do that. I don't care how much of a bad boy you think you are. I'm going to give you $100 million. You need just to be a peer to be a bad boy. So this is what we were saying on the, on, on the forum this week. It's the reason why top professional athletes, including bodybuilders, do not talk about their steroid cycles because it's illegal. I don't care if you're getting TRT or whatever else and it's some of a script. You, I'm going to give top professional bodybuilders used to get $400,000 a year contracts. The contract will tell you that they can't talk about this stuff. And then you're in the public eye. I don't want the feds knocking on my door and come and take my steroids away. So I'm not going to do pictures and videos. I'm not going to have it in the newspaper. I'm not going to be discussing on the morning news. At best, it's going to be kind of, well, you know, we do what needs to be done, or I take lots of supplements. Can't talk about this stuff. So when you do stupid things like this, you're going to be in a great deal of trouble. Now, the thing with John Jones, and, and, and every single mistake that he's made or should I say more accurately, been caught for. He's done exactly what he needed to do. He's either put his hands up, he's either been, uh, done the promotion, he's either done the community service, every single thing. So in his way, he's kind of tried to be a good guy, but he kind of keeps making his mistakes. So we get, so we get into the rest of his mistakes, Steve. Yeah, so after this, basically UFC just stays suspended him indefinitely. Ended up being about a year where he was suspended and uh, he was able to get uh, plead guilty to the charge and get 18 months of supervised probation. And the, they let him travel for work. So, and he had to do charity appearances and all that and all that good stuff, but he avoided a felony, which is good. Now, fast forward a year later, he got back into it. April, 2016, he won his first return match. So he got the interim UFC light heavyweight championship, but they found a banned substance, which was, um, which was caught. He caught caught with it, and they found traces of cocaine going back a year. Yeah. Was it AI? So, we got yeah, yeah. Oh, so oh. 
and uh, he had six samples submitted, and they they noticed some performance enhancing drugs. So he was like, "No, I didn't do anything. I, I didn't do anything." If you get caught like that in UFC, it's a two year suspension. So he couldn't get back to do the uh, the the match against Dan Cormier, which was the one he got. This is one his one loss. So that had to get canceled. It was a big, big deal. That was going to be the match of the of the life of a lifetime. So they they put in Anderson Silva instead of Jones. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Mom. That was the one that they both got upset about. That was the big, big fight, as you said. And that was about the that they kind of there's a clip where uh, Cormier is backstage. And Dana White comes out to him and says, it's not happening. And he says, what, what do you mean it's not happening? He says, you just failed a test. And he starts wiping his face with his tears. And I've seen the clip from the other side where, where, where they turned around and said, you've been, you've been caught. And he says, caught for what? And it was an, it was an, an estrogen inhibitor, what we called an AI on the forums. Uh, the romanticized inhibitor. And there's a long, long explanation for how he think he took it. Now, I'm torn on this because... He does a great story about taking an off-label uh, Cialis and having samples of that Cialis that he picked up from another athlete, given to him in a locker room. This is supposed to be something that was brought at the at garage or gas station, if you could say in the States. It, it sounds a little bit like, what the hell? But the Cialis that they had did have some sort of aromatized inhibitor in it. It was Mexican. It was whatever. It was you know, made in the same machinery, not clean properly. So it sounds like a great story, but at least it's kind of like that. The flip side of that, which which a couple of the other MMA fighters addressed, it says like, how come so many professional athletes consume spike supplements? How come the rest of us aren't taking these spike supplements and accidentally getting muscular? I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of fucked up, but he does do a really really good story. And as I've just said, he was as Cormier was genuinely upset at this particular time. He, he, he says, I've done some stupid stuff. He talks about taking Coke before fights, taking Coke for five days before fights, almost to prove to himself that he was good enough. And he says this, he says, so when I'm, I'm I've been admitting to, to Joe Rogan again, I've been admitting to you, Joe, that I've taken drugs before fights. I did not take, or I did not intend to take this drug. So the way he says it, you kind of half believe him, but then there's everything else. So I'm kind of, I'm on the cusp of this one. He, he tells a really good story and I kind of believe him, but he fucks up with so many other fucking things. I kind of don't believe him. You know what I mean? And as I said, we're, we're not even all the way through this guy. This is just halfway through the list. We're only up to 2016. All back in 2015 again, hiding from a cage, I'm sorry, hiding under a cage when the tester turned up because he had coke in him at the time from the previous evening's uh, celebration, so we say. So, yeah, Let, let's, let's get on, on, on to 2017, Steve. Back to you. Yeah, so let's, um, yeah, listen, at the end of the day, the guy, you know, he's been busted <laughs> for about everything. We can, we, let's, let's go through. Get to the steroids. <laughs> the 20 yep. We can go, let's, let's take a step back and go back to, um back to 2016 what did he actually what is it what did he get busted for what instead of performance enhancing drugs steroids let's talk a little bit about all this now because this is what you guys want to hear so back in 20 
2016 Letro and Clomid is what he was tested positive for. Now, why would you take Letro and Clomid as an MMA fighter? Letro and Clomid aren't going to help you be better MMA fighters. But what they can do is help dry you out and help you make weight. So maybe that's why he took it. But another option is why do guys who take anabolic steroids take Clomid? A lot of times they do that as a post-cycle or in between cycles to kind of boost their testosterone levels after they've been on steroids. So perhaps he ran steroids and then took the Clomid as like a post cycle to help him recover his testosterone levels. That might be a theory. Now the Letro, why would you take Letro? Letro is something you use on a cycle as an aromatized inhibitor, very, very strong aromatized inhibitor. So perhaps he was taking the Letro to offset those water gains because he was using aromatizing compounds like Dianabol or testosterone, et cetera, et cetera. So we can speculate that that could be a reason why he used the Letro. What do you, what do you think, uh, Mobster? Have you heard of guys using Letro and Clomid in, um, in, these, in these fighters or boxers for this reason? There's a thing, Steve. I think what we and you could 100% agree on is that if we, if we didn't know any better, we would swear blind he was on a steroid cycle and he was taking an AI or he was trying to make weight and he was using drugs to make weight. So let's not muck around. He was on a cycle and he was taking drugs. This whole, oh, this is what makes me think, as I said to you, you know, he does a really great story about the Cialis being spiked, but then how many athletes have talked about supplements being spiked? Come on. And then you go, right, so why specifically spiked with that? Why not? <laughs> I'm going to say that he was on a steroid cycle, and I'm going to say that he took an AI to reduce the issues, that, the side effects of taking a steroid cycle. Simple as, let's not muck around. He got caught. You got Victor Conte commentating and saying, he actually, I mean, how bad he got. I mean, Victor, Victor from Balco Labs telling the testers to use a specific test, which in fact they already had done, to catch him, because that's he he says, you know, and he wasn't just having a go at John Jones at the time. There, there's a whole bunch of guys, legends of the sport, talking, I'm going to address this very quickly, but how a few years ago, all the guys, or certainly a good number of the guys, were on TRT. These were top professional athletes, at the peak of their physical abilities, and they were taking testosterone replacement therapy. Some of them were claiming in interviews that they would die if they didn't take TRT. Lo and behold, athletic abilities in increased. So the organization, you can't take any TRT. You can't have a script for TRT. You're not allowed to take TRT. Let's not muck around. It's bad. It's done. Some of those athletes still compete. So we know that they're on cycles. We know that they're on gear. We know, therefore, that they're going to need their aromatized inhibitors. They're going to need stuff to help with water. They're going to need to make weight for competition. They're going to be doing a bunch of other drugs. And we've talked about this with, when it comes to professional athletes of every sport that we can think of, whether it's just something to stop your hands shaking as a golfer or a snooker player or a dart thrower. It's, it's you know, just to calm your nerves. They're all going to do because they're driven individuals, every single thing that they can, when there's all this kind of money on the line as well, to be the absolute best that they can be and be the winner, be the guy that comes out. And, and, and it's 90%. If it's not 100%, it's 
So my, I'm going to say that he was on a steroid cycle. The only disappointing thing in a kind of perverse way is he, to quote Arnold, he wasn't getting the good advices. When you're, and we talked about this on the previous podcast. If he's at that level with that kind of money on the line, who the fuck is advising him and not getting him through these tests, not taking off the drugs at the right time? Why is he taking... He's a multi-millionaire and he's taking some crappy Cialis, according to him, from a buddy in the locker room. Go out and buy real drugs, man. Go out and get some... Steve Smee, I'll do a consult, John. Call Steve Smee, I'll do a consult. He'll give you proper... It doesn't make sense to me. I can't understand how stupid this stuff is and how... If I was... Steve, if you and I suddenly decide we're going to become cage fighters, suddenly right now in this podcast, we're suddenly going to start to become cage fighters. And I say that we're both going to get $100 million a year, Steve. I think we would do our damnedest not to fuck it up, not to fuck up the cycle, not to fuck up the drugs that we're going to, all this kind of stuff, getting caught for some of these things. It's, it's kind of like juvenile, man. It's kind of like, come on the forum. We'll tell you what to do in the forum. We would give, come on, sort this stuff out. What do you think, Steve? If you and I have suddenly decided we're no. going to be in well, well, the problem too is the Clomid. Um, we can, we don't, you know, we can estimate that Clomid can take months to be, to not show up in a, in a test. So if he took the Clomid even two, three months back, he'll get busted for it. There's a long, long time. Letro is about, is like three weeks, maybe give or take a week. And then the other one he he got actually busted for was Toronable, and Toronable is is about two months. It, it's it's up to two months detectable, and that was a year after he got busted for the Clomid and for the Letro. So, so he had to have been taking that that Toronable. This was in uh, 2017. He had to have been taking that Toronable within a, maybe a month, month and a half of that July 29, 2017 fight where he got stripped of the title after testing positive. Right, so something else we've touched on in, in, in a previous podcast when we were talking about giving guys advice and, and stuff that they can do in a forum. So in 2018, he then had, he gets retested again. Of course, this is going to be one of those athletes that's kind of getting attention now. They've been caught so many times. Listen, what happens in the Olympics is that the guy that wins always gets tested. If you're in the top three, top four, they're always going to be tested. If it's gold medal, it's the main event, it's the finals, you're going to be tested. So that's how it works. Now, John Jones has been caught. He's done his stupid stuff. He's going to be tested. So in 2018, he gets tested again. Uh, and here's the thing that kind of goes back to what Steve Smith just said in terms of the length of time that he would have been taking the stories for. But better, and I've addressed this in, in a post on the forum, how much more sophisticated the testing is getting. So one of the things that's happened with MMA, cage fires, et cetera, is they are getting caught for uh, steroid. I'm not going to say performance enhancing drugs. So it includes SARMs from two years ago. In the same way that the Olympic testing will take your A and B sample and test your A sample and put your B sample off to one side in a fridge and a freeze or whatever the hell it is that they do. He got tested again uh, and they found metabolites of the Tyranobol in his blood, but at a level that had fractionalized. In other words, it was next to nothing, but it was still from the previous uh, test. Now, interestingly, because the testing has become more sophisticated, guys had actually got caught, one particular athlete got caught, 
some years ago and was banned for the organisation for life, Steve, for having one-fifth of the amount that John Jones had in his 2018 test. Now, here's the thing, right? It's a bit of confusion. I was actually discussing it with a buddy at the gym this morning. It's the difference between what we talk about on the forums, half-life, which is when the dose of the drug is half as effective as it previously was, and having metabolites. In other words, essentially a used proportion of the drug that the body's kind of played around with, and I'm being not very scientific about this stuff at all, but it's still traceable. And this was traceable from his 2017, and as Steve Speed actually says, prior to 2017. So let's say that the, the test was in August, he may well have used the drug in March, April or May, and then got caught in August of 2017. A year later, so 15 or 16 months after he used, they tested him again and found a small amount of the blood, the, the drug still in his system. And this is what you need to watch out for, guys. If you decide that you're going to be an MMA, you're going to be a cage fighter or whatever else, we talked about this with you, going to be in athletics. How much more sophisticated? When they know from looking at your blood sample, your test results, that this is a drug that you took 18 months ago or 15 months ago or 12 months ago, and they can tell that by the amounts, they can tell that this is a no longer active portion, you're kind of screwed. So if you decide to take drugs, you almost don't want to be a top-level athlete, honestly, because you're going to be focused on. It's going to be like a laser beam. It's going to be like a spotlight. And they're going to test you. And especially if you then do a John Jones and you actually do fuck up and you do get caught, you're now going to be more tested than you was before. I guarantee it. I, I, I think it's a given. We've got top professional athletes here in the UK, Steve. And they talk about certain periods of their sporting career when they were making a name for themselves, both in terms of their success, but also sometimes with the stupid stuff that they were doing, they'd get tested every two weeks. Sometimes they'd be, you have to, as you know, that from the IOC and the way they're testing, and John Jones has said this also in one of his interviews, you have to tell them where you're going. So if you're going out of state, as you said earlier on, you need to say where you're going out of state. You need to be available for a urine test pretty much all the time. Uh, coming up to any of the Olympic Games, guys in this country, they're getting money from, from the UK Athletics Associations, getting 10000 a year to help support their athletic uh, training ready for the, the Olympics. And in the 10, 12 week run up to the Olympics, tested twice at the Olympics, tested randomly. It is, it's, testing is becoming incredibly sophisticated. It, if you are a top professional athlete, you're going to be tested more. And the testing is now getting to the point where, and we've talked about this again on the forum, some of these guys are getting caught with 24-month-old test samples. So, uh, so they're, they're only they testing their A and B samples, but they're going back, they're being retested again, and they're able to turn around and say, you were taking drugs two years ago. That's how much more sophisticated, and the drugs are going to get, it's going to get that much more sophisticated again. It's going to get to the point now where either we go, let's stop testing, or the guys really need to step up their game. And this is what I was saying earlier on. I can't understand if I'm going to be getting the kind of money that John Jones was getting from Nike as a sponsor, from winning, from whatever it does, the money that you can make. I believe it was something around the $300,000, $400,000 a fight, which is not crazy, crazy money, but everything else that he was getting, and being as a major, major sponsor. I would not want to screw that up. And I would have the best 
just be crude, I'd have the best drug people on my side. I'd have Victor Conte in my corner. I wouldn't have him screaming to re- shouting at reporters that this is a drug test that these guys should do on me. He was he was actually suggesting the drug test that they he wanted them to to do on his samples. That's how bad this stuff got. And it doesn't just have to be John Jones. This could be any top professional athlete. You really need to be completely one hundred percent on top of your game. And even then, the drug tests are going to be improved. If there's something that you might want to address as well, Steve, it's kind of if there's been some sort of phrase that's been used, and it says it's been ends up being a fight between scientists, my drug doctor, my drug doctor, to your drug tester. That is, it's a game, but it's a high level I, game. It's a yeah. Well, I would argue, mobster, you know, you're right on all that, and I think he did. Can you imagine if he got busted just for this stuff? He's probably on so much other stuff, right? So maybe his guys that he was working with did help him skirt for many, many years. And then at the point 2017, once we got 2016, 2017, he got busted a couple times. It's like, damn, I got busted. I did everything right. And I still got busted. Damn it. You know, Darren admits to using cannabis. He admits to using Coke, but he's uncomfortable admitting to taking steroids. Yeah. Oh, I'm quite, quite happy getting high. Me using athletic enhancements? How dare you? It's a yeah. joke, man. It's an absolute joke. Yeah. Well, why why is sponsors okay with him taking coke and getting smashed off his tits and getting drunk before fights and having a cannabis pipe in his car? But no, no. Me taking two around the boat. How dare you? You, um, you sullied my name. <laughs> Come on. It's an absolute joke. It really is. Yeah. So what else... Let's talk about what else he could have been using in terms of steroids. We know he was heavy on the cocaine. You know, he was heavy on the marijuana. We know that he, you know, was doing other types of things, alcohol, stuff like that. And we know he was running these ancillaries, the Clomid, the Letro, and then the T-Bowl. How much T-Bowl would he be using? I mean, gosh, I would think he would be using. So for a normal gym rat, 20, 30, maybe 40 milligrams a day of T-Bowl is fine. But for him, hell, he may have been using 50 or 100 milligrams a day of the T-Bowl. He probably went over. And then check drops. Let's talk about check drops. A lot of fighters like to take check drops. Very, very toxic. You take them right before your fight. He was probably taking 500 micrograms or more before his fight, 30, 40 minutes before his, his, his fights. You know, and that stuff is not going to show up on a drug test after a little while. That those, you know, that's in and out of your system pretty quick. So those check drops basically make you crazy. They make you they're like smelling salts. They make you go crazy. So he was probably taking those. What else could he have been taking? Maybe a test suspension. Test suspension very very hard to get busted for. You would run it just like normal testosterone. Um, a hundred milligrams, two hundred, three hundred, five hundred milligrams a week. And the, the, the test suspension, you'd have to inject it once a day, twice a day. It's in and out of your system quick. Same thing with Trenbolone. Trenbolone, we all, as gym rats, we like to use Trenbolone. We'll use 200, 300, maybe 400 milligrams of Trenbolone a week. That's a, that's a high end of the range. He was probably using similar dosages, but he was using uh, no ester, the no ester Trenbolone, which is in and out of your system. So he would inject it every day or even twice a day 
and he would get it into his system, probably each injection every day, probably run, I don't know, 25, 50 milligrams of a trend, uh, no ester a day. You know, and these would be the, the, the ones, these would be the ones that give him those androgenic the aggression that, that he really needed. What, what do you see in, in uh, Mobster with him using this stuff? Tell you a quick story for myself again. This is I've used check drops myself before lifting competitions. And for my sins, and I, I please God, if I win the lottery, probably going to be one of those videos that shows up. So I've used check drops. Uh, and, and I'm not a big fan, funny enough, as it happens, of this idea that some guys talk about on the forums of using, oh, shall I take my steroids before I go to the gym? No, not really, guys, because some of the stuff that you're using in 16 days, 20 days, eight days, not not everything that you guys are using has that sort of a half-life. So you're not going to suddenly get a boost in testosterone because you took this, this injection. Oh, I took test infinite before I went to the gym. Man, it's, it's barely in your system. It's barely having an effect. It's not that kind of drug. The no ester drugs, the short-acting drugs, as Steve Smeaker says, is different. They are, they do have, and, I, and here's the thing as well, that, that this is what kind of crazy, they're great, great progression. They really are. But equally, you can't take them for long periods of time. I have yet, for example, with regards to check drops, I did some research some years ago before I decided to use myself. The longest cycle I saw anybody recommend, and it was right out there, was six weeks. The majority of articles that even talked about using check drops in a cycle were talking about two weeks. And the reason for that was it's incredibly harsh, incredibly, it's just really, really bad for you to take. It's just a god awful drug. So, what I did. And what a lot of fighters do and a lot of strength athletes do, like myself, is literally just the day of a competition. A half-life off the top of my head, and I'd have to double-check, is about eight hours, which is great. That's a day's lifting. Going to be at a competition six to eight hours. This is perfect. So I, I broke the British record on a lift. And there is a video, I know for a fact that someone was filming at the time, and me running up and down like some fucking rancid, rabid lunatic swearing at everybody in the room like some crazy mad fool showing that a fucking show you bosses etc etc and i've probably got the veins going and i think my fist are clenched and everything else now i really it there's not <laughs> this is breaking the mouse maybe that's what i'm going to be like uh, and i can obviously like anybody else when you when you win in a competition you get excited but it just seemed even in my mind a bit of an overreaction but for fighting, a perfect drug for fighting. No esters, and Steve said, next to undetectable, in and out of your system in hours, some of the drugs. Hence the once, twice a day injections. How much were you but, taking? Oh, I mean, I was literally, it's, it's, I've, I've still got it here, Steve. I think it's something ridiculous, like micrograms per meal. Off the top of my head, I'm going to say 200 micrograms. Okay. And all you're doing, and this is 100%, and I'll get to one other drug in a second, is you are dropping... One drop of this from the end of a needle, you don't you don't inject it. There's no need to inject it. You literally go into the valve, pull out the tiniest little drop, and like one big drop underneath your tongue, and it's absorbed through the mucous membranes underneath your tongue. From for, for the uh, does it taste of... does it taste bad or anything or burn? No, there is it's an alcohol based. It's okay. disgusting. So um, tell very... us, tell us. Um... So put us as John Jones taking check drops before his fight. What did you go through? You took it, what, I, how long before did you take it? And, and take us through what he would have went through after taking it. Would it make him I'll crazy give, or what? I'll give you my theory on the, the no use before a fight or in, in, in lifting competition. 
I'll give you, and let me tell you one more story very, very quickly. So there's a, a, a famous story, which may or may not be true. Uh, the powerlifters of yesteryear, and a specific example was Bill Kazimar using adrenaline. They got this stuff back from Vietnam when you had the morphine in the, uh, the, the, the army stuff. You had like a thing that you could shove through their uniform, through their uh, NBC kit if they'd been infected with some, they'd been shot or they got some chemicals in the system. And you had the morphine one and the adrenaline one. And it depended, of course, on the nature of your injury and whatever else. So the story was that uh, Kazimaya is about to go out and do some squatting. And you might remember from the 80s and 90s videos of guys headbutting the bar, giving them a sort of nosebleeds and then spotting a thousand pounds. This is before the crazy suits that we got now. So the stories were, and this is applied to Bill Kazimaya, going into the toilet cubicle, taking one of these amps, putting it against his fire, banging the back, and instantly gets this rush of adrenaline. And that's quite a dangerous drug, as you know, Steve. Your heart's going to be racing at 100 miles an hour. You're not, anybody that's ever been on adrenaline for the flight or fight, it's not a nice feeling. You want to punch someone in the face or run away. And I'm supposed to get you to come out and squat. So what happens was, is he has a panic attack and starts smashing up the toilet cubicle and has to be kind of dragged out by two or three other big heavyweight powerlifters, pushed towards the platform with his eyes. And we've all seen those, the raging, Bill Kazimaya, when he's about to win the world's strongest man stuff, one can only make, one can only suggest that he perhaps have done something like this for the world's strongest man. Comes out there with that caveman, wild, crazy look in his eyes and goes out and squats a thousand pounds. So in my own particular case, you go, right, what's the half-life? Eight hours, as I said already. It's about six to eight hours. So what do I want to do? I want to arrive at a competition on fire. I've done the training, all that technical stuff for another podcast. But in terms of my steroid use, I'm taking estrogen on the day because I want to be wired. I want to be energetic. It's not a bodybuilding thing. I don't need to be pumped. What I do need is what my synapse is firing. I want to be full of creatine. I want my ATP full up to the brim. I want to drip feed a certain amount of calories in through the day so that I don't have no drop off of energies. And in terms of the, uh, uh, the check drops, I literally would take that in the car, if I was staying nearby at the hotel, 20, 30 minutes before I walk to the venue. Now, I'm not going to be crazy excited. It doesn't work like that. I don't sit there growling at people and threatening to, you know, the person that's making the tea, I smash them in the face. It's not that kind of drug. But on the platform, I should have a rush of adrenaline. I should get slightly excited. I should be buzzing from competition. And, of course, this is what these guys with the noesters I want to be aggressive in the cage. I want to be ready to rip the other guy a new asshole. And if he doesn't like that, when I make him another one, I want to be in there. I don't want this. He might have nine wins in a row and I've never won, but I want to be able to beat the fuck out of him. So I'm going to take something in terms of my training and preparation. That's all done. I want something so that when I'm in the cage, I'm aggressive. I'm, I'm mean. I'm bad. I'm ugly. I'm going to fuck you up good. So I'm thinking with this kind of stuff, Steve, Half an hour of check drops is fine. Hour tops. And then it's in your system. And then when you're punching me in the face, you've got me in a lock. That's where the adrenaline is going to come out. And that's where the check drops is going to kick in. That's when the aggression is going to come out. The no S is exactly the same. I want that. We, we talked about this. And I'm not a big fan of the whole idea that you take steroids for the feels. You shouldn't be fucking relying on feeling good. You should be doing that stuff. The, the feel good should come from your performance in the gym or from your competing on stage and winning and taking on the trophy. It shouldn't come specifically from steroids. But in the case of the no esters for fighting, in the case of the check drops, that's that's when it's going you want that feel. You want to 
know that there's something in your system giving you a boost. Kind of like going turbo in a car, injecting the nitrous. Right, now we're on fire. Now we're, I'm a superhuman before, I'm a monster now. And that's what I want this stuff in my system. So I would look up the times, I would do my research, I would go and, make, and talk to fighters. I'm lucky again that for whatever, whatever level I've achieved in my particular niche part of lifting, I can talk to guys that have achieved another level. And obviously I can talk to them quietly and privately and say, if I was going to use this, when would be a good idea? And in my opinion, and without checking, I'm going to say pretty much hour to two hours in case of the injections. And in case of something like check drops, half an hour to an hour is fine. So long as the adrenaline is kicking in and, I, and, I, and I'm hungry to win. And in the case, especially with the fight guys, someone's punching me in the face, I ought to be ready now. Because if I'm not ready when someone's punching me fast, I'm never going to be ready. That's when I want the drugs to come in, like the nitrous coming in and lighting me up. And uh, either the guy beats me because he's a better fighter or I hand him his new arsehole and, 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 we, and, and we model it afterwards. And uh, I, I think about that when I'm putting the belt on and taking home you know, the ring girl and counting in the cash for my win. It sounds like for sure, check drops is a big part of not just your thing, powerlifting, but also MMA fighting. And it sounds like for sure, John Jones would be using it before every single fight. No doubt. If it's that, e if it's that easy, you just put it on your tongue 30 minutes yeah. before. I mean, there's no doubt he's going to be doozing it. Yeah, another, yeah. another thing I think they use halo testing. Yes. Probably 50 milligrams a day. Leading up to the fight, that's another yeah. one. That also gives you aggression, makes you crazy. In the last, in the last what, again with these drugs, guys, these are so harsh. We're not talking about long-term use. This literally should be as you're peaking. If you've got a fight, let's say it's Christmas, you're not taking halo testing every single day running up between now and October to Christmas. It's not happening, guys. But in the last two weeks, you should have done all your ring work. You should have done all your grand and pound work you should be done any weight training work you're going to be done you should be getting you peak for a competition getting ready for a fight it does it's sort of the same principle start off lazy and fat and ugly end up lean mean and nasty the halo testing the check drops this is in the, the check drops i went say for the fight day the halo testing and the no esters we're talking about the last couple of weeks you should not be taking this at the beginning of a training cycle should not be taking this at the beginning of preparation However, then we're back to what me and Steve have addressed earlier on, which is the if these drugs are in and out of your system crazy quick, then maybe they're the only drugs you should be using because he's getting caught for other stuff. He's getting caught for drugs that are in your system for ages. Kind of doesn't make any sense. I bet, and Steve's correct. I would be looking at the lowest effective dose. I've, dis I've discussed this before on the forums. You do not need to take high amounts of these drugs. They're incredibly harsh, very, very toxic. So I want a really small amount, the least effective dose. If it works, that's enough. I don't need to take any more than that. And for the least amount of time, too. Yeah, exactly. Two weeks, four weeks. As long Six as it's peaking weeks. when you're actually doing the fight. That's that's what he's yeah. going for. And yeah, another yeah. thing, another thing, you know, we could speculate he was using EPO. EPO is a, mm. is a method, you know, it's kind of like it's blood doping. It, it causes your red blood cell counts to go up, gives you more endurance probably took that diuretics that helps him make way, but also ha may help him mask his urine yeah. test. If they're giving them urine tests, not just for him, for other MMA fighters too. So the masking yeah. agents also, you were talking about earlier about <clears throat> the guy, <clears throat> the guys helping him. 
I think they were helping him. They were giving him all these, these diuretics, these other masking agents to kind of fool the test. And maybe the Letro and the Clomid was also part of a masking agent, was a, maybe a masking agent cocktail, and then he got busted for it. Maybe that happened. You just mentioned diuretics. And in fact, I remember, again, researching for this podcast, there was a line that caught my eye. And that, how, how you describe urine as watery is beyond me. But one of the issues with one of these test samples of urine, when they were testing his urine rather than the blood test, was it was watery. So there's a great one for uh, prisoners in, uh, in the UK prisons, and I imagine the same in the American uh, prison system, where, for example, is it prisoners keep their hair cut short? And they keep their hair cut short because it's a great way to test if you've been taking cannabis. If the hair is so short that the scissors can't get a grip on it and take a hair sample, then there's no way to find out you've been smoking weed in prison. And the other one is, is for heroin. And the heroin one in prison is an enormous amount of uh, spice in the UK drugs, which is cannabis derivative, and uh, an enormous amount of heroin use in, in the UK prisons. And what the guys there do, if they think they've got a test coming up, was they would drink copious amounts of water to the point, you know, six or seven litres a day, when they would normally have two or three litres a day to water down the urine to make the uh, the part of the, uh, the, the heroin metabolites in their urine so small as to be left over from the previous test, et cetera, et cetera. So one of his urine samples, John John specifically, was described by a tester from the organization as being watery. In other words, very, very clear, like he'd been drinking copious amounts. So he's getting some advice. Obviously, he's still getting caught, which is the issue, Steve. Uh, so yeah, definitely doing some of these things, which is, I think Steve was, Steve C was inferring, he's definitely seems to be going in the right direction. But guys, he was still getting caught. He was still failing his tests. He's a great, great athlete. And we know that he took these drugs. We know, because he's admitted himself that he's taken the recreational drugs. We're not just surmising here. We know. This isn't one of those best guests kind of podcasts. We know what he's taken. We, we got the words from the, from the tester talking about his urine sample being watery. We can't sort of him sitting next to us doing his podcast and telling us the drugs that he took. I think pretty much we're golden on this one, Steve. We really are. It's just, it's kind of, I said pre-show, it's kind of a shame because he's a great, great athlete. He really, really is. But we know so much about his drug test. We know, but when we can describe the, the quality of his urine in a podcast, <laughs> he might as well have sent us a witness statement. He might as well just said, dear Steve, here's the drugs I've taken. So yeah, we're we're not best guessing here, guys. We know hundred percent because he's telling us it's it's crazy. Listen, at the end of the day, it's another example. I always say this: whenever you hear of an athlete getting busted for something, everyone's like, "Oh, he was taking that." Like Ben Johnson supposedly got busted for Winstrol and he's, "Oh, he was taking Winstrol, so Winstrol must be best for for sprinting." No, no, no. He was taking Winstrol to reduce his his weight if he was taking Winstrol, right? But he was taking other stuff that he didn't get busted for, okay? So it's so funny how people just assume, yeah, he got busted for that. He must have been just just taking that. No, no, no. He was taking 20 other things, but he just happened to get busted for that one thing he got busted for. So that, that's the way it works, guys. So, yeah, I think – But so many other MMA athletes, when you've got the, the Gracie brothers on, on videos, on podcasts of their own talking about other – 
uh, uh, MMA and cage fighters using drugs. When I mentioned earlier on in the podcast about the TRT use, I don't think there was 20 or 30 athletes claiming that they needed to take TRT. Half a dozen of those are still competing now, 10 years after the, the I think it was eight to 10 years after the, the TRT was banned. So we're, we're, we're tearing John Jones a new one, but he's not the only athlete. That's, that we, this isn't just, when we talk about best guess, this is for the other athletes. He's the guy that got caught. He's the guy that put his hands up. He's the guy that admitted to recreational drug use. Do you think he's the only one? Not by any stretch of the imagination. I said earlier on 90% of athletes. That's at the professional world-class level. World's strongest man. I know guys that compete in world's strongest man and are not big drug users. But I would be incredibly surprised if every single guy that I know personally and watch on the TV the same as everybody else. And I could, you could put these names in front of me and I go, yes, yes, yes. Honestly, I'd be incredibly surprised if there's one single athlete in the top 100 that isn't taking anything. And I don't care what sport you're talking about. I would say beta blockers for the snooker players and, and just to calm your nerves. And they're going, oh, and they were getting this stuff prescribed to them by doctors. So let's not fuck around, guys. It's, it's the money is a big deal. Being driven to win is a big deal. But we're talking about poker players taking drugs to calm their nerves. It's gambling. And they're taking stuff just so that they're calm. They put them dark glasses and hats on, sit at the table, and they're taking beta blockers. That's poker players. People, gamers. How about gamers? Gamers yeah, do yeah. up all night. They take so stimulants just to stay up all night. It's insane, yeah. Two hours and died because he wasn't eating. He didn't go to the toilet. He was taking drugs to stay awake for three days to play some stupid fucking game. And come on. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah, we're 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 past our hour, guys. So we hope you guys learned a lot from this. We definitely talked about a lot of steroid compounds and a lot of masking agents and all kinds of things that that John Jones, you know, we could have speculate he takes and other MMAs take. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it and you know we gotta we gotta talk about this stuff guys we gotta educate people you know this stuff um at the end of the day you know taking this stuff it can backfire on you he, he's lost millions of dollars um from from this in his prime of his career he was suspended for for a year and he almost ended up in prison so guys be, you know you gotta you gotta be smart about this stuff come on the forums Ask the right questions. Be aware that the testing is really, really strict. Know that it's a gamble. Once you know that it's a gamble and you're willing to risk it, then we'll give you advice. We'll help you as much as we possibly can with this stuff on the forum, guys. We'll tell you what, what we know athletes are using. We'll give you links to this kind of stuff. There's, this, there's articles on the forum about what UFC and MMA fighters have taken. There's, there's stuff that we've discussed. It's all there. It's available. Come and check it out. And if you are an MMA fighter, you're rolling the dice. The tests are getting stricter and stricter and stricter, but we'll give you as much help as we possibly can. That's what we're there for. If you're, if you're, whether you're a, a, an amateur, uh, athlete of any description or professional, once you're the right age and we, we, we think you're, you're going to listen to what we got to tell you, we're there. That's what we're for. Come and check us out. All right, guys. So that was it. John Jones, keep, keep the uh, suggestions coming. We'll talk to you guys next week. Enjoy it. Talk to you soon.